0: And
1: Hound
2: podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How is everybody doing? I was out at an unaffiliated event at the weekend. It was the last hurrah of the eventing season for me, so it really feels like we're on the way into the winter now, I have to say. Our interview on this week's podcast is with Jessica Burke, the Irish maths teacher who's now show jumping at the top level. She turned in a remarkable hat trick at Horse of the Year show and talks about that experience of winning at the NEC.
3: You know, I normally wouldn't be, um, a, you know, one for like punching the air too much or anything like that. Maybe if you get me on a dance floor late at night, I might seem to throw
2: in some shapes, but not on a horse. I'll then be talking to our news team about the rising cost of livery, changes at British eventing and implications from a recent court case. Finally, veterinary equine behaviourist Dr Gemma Pearson gives us some insight into rewards and consequences when training horses.
1: Um, Horses don't particularly enjoy being patted, they won't work for that. They associate it with a break perhaps, but it's not something that matters to them. Um, And they don't enjoy being told that they're good. We haven't bred horses to, to want to please us in the same way that we have dogs.
2: More from Gemma later. For now, clip on your air jacket and let's get started.
4: Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound, and this week's guest is high flying Irish show jumper Jessica Burke, who has forged a stellar career on the international circuit since switching from her role in the classroom as a maths teacher. She's hot footed it from winning an amazing hat trick of international classes at Horse of the Year show to join us this week. So Jessica, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. Um well, let's start with that unbelievable run at horse of the year show. It was your first ever visit to Birmingham for the three-star show and you came away with three wins all on the same horse, the Supermare Impulse, which is uh I mean it's a staggering achievement. Did you go there with high expectations or were you surprised just how well it all went for you?
3: Yeah, uh to be honest, I was surprised. I did like I the horse is brilliant and um so I suppose I always go to a show hoping to win something and you always go hoping to pay the bill and yeah. to win as much as possible, you know, but <laughs> I think what, um, I, I, I never actually imagined how good the atmosphere there was. I, okay. I, I had heard about it and, you know, I suppose being Irish, we kind of build our year around Dublin horse show and yeah. I was looking up to compete there this year and the atmosphere there was incredible. And, and I know, over here people build their year to qualify for highs. but actually it's it's i now understand why you know the atmosphere was amazing like to win one class there i would have been (laughs) delighted to canter down under the spotlight but to do it three times it was it was class oh my goodness and there's a fantastic picture of you sort
4: of punching the air on your third lap of honor i mean what can you remember what was going through your head what is that
3: feeling when you've just got the spotlight on you and your horse it, it was quite funny actually because um you know, I normally wouldn't be, um, you know, one for like punching the air too much or anything like that. You know, maybe if you get me on a on a dance floor late at night, you yeah. might see me throwing throw some shapes, but not on a horse. So um, some of my friends are actually giving me a stick about the fist pump, and it was quite funny. So by the time I got to day three, I didn't really know what to do. Yeah. Um, but no i actually i enjoyed i enjoyed every minute i turn around there it was amazing and and i think i think the mayor did as well i actually think she i think she felt the crowd as much as i did you know i, I feel like she, she wanted as well so no it was it was incredible it really was
4: fantastic and i guess the pinnacle was sunday's um speed horse of the year class which is i mean it's always a you know demanding track red hot competition talk yeah. us through your round in there what was what was the class like for yeah, you yeah sunday? sunday
3: i suppose i went to the show thinking like, okay, she, you know, I hadn't jumped, I don't think I'd, I hadn't jumped her indoors at all, but she just, she's just, she's very mentally strong anyway. So I kind of wasn't mm-hmm. really worried about that. But I did go to the show thinking, if I can kind of build up to Sunday and have a go, a real go Sunday, it would be a nice title for her to win on Sunday. And then obviously, with the way it worked out, she won the two before. I was kind of thinking, oh, well, she ha you know, it's, it's going to be very hard to win again on Sunday. Uh, yeah. Um, and when I walked the course, I was thinking, oh, God, because, like it was very tight back to two, very tight back to four, just didn't start as kind of nice and easy as the other days. You, the, the tougher turns I felt came at the very start and it was kind of, if you got that bit out of the way, the second half I thought was nice. So right. um, I was just thinking I really you know both of us need to be on it here and luckily we were it wasn't as smooth as the other days but she was actually she was brilliant I just felt like when I was going around I felt like she she wants to win this you know oh my goodness (laughs) yeah
4: fantastic and what's she like what I mean what's she like to ride what are her best qualities
3: she just looks like a super fun mare to ride oh my god yeah she's um (laughs) she's mental really to be honest she just (laughs) yeah she kind of we don't really really treat her slightly different to the other horses when when I um Bought her in January off Natasha, and she said like you know she doesn't really kill her with flat work too much, and you know like lunges her and keeps her happy, and oh, you yeah. know I I'm I'm all for that, but I did at the start try and you know you know put my own stamp on her with the flat and that, and we did, um you know she definitely has improved, but I I I found that it's best to like not over fry her brains and make her change things too much because she goes you know she goes her way, she's like unbelievably careful she's actually really easy to ride so I don't you know I don't think you need to change her too much so I tried to keep that that same system like she lunges a lot she hacks in the road she goes in the field a lot and right we barely we barely jump her at home at all oh, unless she has not done the show yeah like she she doesn't take the normal training that you know other horses and I'm used to producing young horses and teaching them things that you know it's just a lot of it just comes down you know she's built like She's built like a thoroughbred really. She's yes, all blood yeah. and I, like she she's naturally quick. So she already has that advantage of being fat. You know, I never really had to teach her to go fast and she naturally quick and she, she kind of backs off the fence. So there's a lot of things she does so well anyway, it gives her an advantage.
4: I mean, that's fantastic. You've racked up quite a good uh, string of wins this year. It's been a phenomenal
3: season for you both, even though you you're quite new to each other. Yeah. Like, and I think for me, I've had an amazing year anyway. And then, She's just really added to it because we've got to do some wonderful shows. You know, she won a she won a really good class in Madrid. She won a class in Peelberg, and she won one in Bonheiden. You know, she won three in highs. She won one in Bowlesworth. Like she's won. She won the Grand Prix in Hickstead. Like she's won a class at at all the good shows I've been to all year. So it's really, it's been amazing, and um, hopefully, we can we can continue it into next year. Really
4: absolutely what a horse and i mean she's just the tip of the iceberg so to speak because you've got a very exciting string of young horses and older horses at the moment can you just tell us a bit about uh, your current string and the sort of the setup at darien stud in hampshire
3: um yeah no it's look we're i think we're, we're here three years now and i think it's just starting to we had a lot of patience you know we started with i had one older horse express trend which um then he was off for a year with injury and he's actually just back in the string now which is which is actually really nice to have him back because he knows he knows the job so um but when I started I just him and then a bunch of younger ones and we um we bought some nice younger ones and but we've had to we've had to play the waiting game a little bit you know and it's really nice that it's all coming together now I have um so Express Trend is back. He's twelve now, so he's back to jump. You know, he can jump at, He can jump. He's a very good one fifty horse. He jumped the Grand Prix in highs Oh yeah. Then I have um a really really exciting nine year old Nike HH um that jumped. She jumped round like the mini Grand Prix in Dublin, and she jumped the one sixty classes in Dublin, and that, and she jumped the four star Grand Prix last week in Pace So, uh, I think for next year, I'd you know I'd be aiming her at. At the top of the sport and then obviously impulse, you know, if, if I can get into some five-star shows, you know, there's no better horse to have on the truck to, to win as many classes as possible. So Definitely. that's, that's what, what I'm, you know, those three are, would be my main ones. And then, you know, I have a very, very nice bunch of younger ones. We've got a couple sold and mm-hmm. we'll hopefully build up the, the string underneath a bit more between now and next year as well, because I'm always trying to keep that line coming through, you know?
4: Yeah. And you've got, you're always, you're well known for sort of producing the younger ones. Have you got some exciting ones that you're particularly looking forward to riding next year?
3: Yeah, I have. We have um, we have a very nice five-year-old, actually, uh, Romulus de Meuse. Um He actually won the five-year-olds in Higstead, So that's one we're very excited about. There's also another five-year-old, uh, Last Express. He's a bigger, weaker horse. Mm-hmm. He's a half-brother to Express Trend, So those two are ah, very okay. nice. They're interesting. And then... Um, I have a four-year-old that I actually a homebred that of my own that is off, um, one of my one of my mares I jumped in young riders. It's our first fold, so he he'll be it'll be, interesting to see what he does. And then we have two we have two really nice six-year-olds. Um. Billy Rivera and Caratora and then we have some seven-year-olds so we have a we have a nice bunch to be honest we're yeah we're very you know very lucky that is
4: brilliant very exciting it's yeah especially when you've got homebreds and things coming through I must, oh, it must yeah. be the most exciting time seeing how they go on it's um...
3: yeah and actually we did um this year so uh, Arian stood as um owned by Louisa Church um and then uh Liam Nicholas is um my owner from Ireland so he owns Uh, some of the horses here as well so between um Liam Liam always only buys mares and um did some embryos so then obviously Louisa did some so all all together we all did some embryos this year so actually we have we have two embryos in full from impulse for next year and hopefully we'll do some more because we we have a wonderful um a wonderful re- reprovet and Cape Bandy was amazing actually all summer and you know our our team here as well um one of the girls that works at home here Ashby Birdwood did a lot of that of the of the embros and stuff you know while we were away at, at shows and yeah and stuff so no we we have a great team um and my my groom Allia Phillips as well as you know she's at the show at the shows with me always so I think that we. We, we're we very lucky with the people we have around us too you know
4: fantastic team and yeah. you mentioned sort of being out on the road you're just back from Saint-Tropez which I mean it sounds very glamorous but uh, how do you find life on the road
3: you, you've been traveling a lot it's been a busy year hasn't it it's been very busy yeah to be honest I, I'm enjoying it I, I haven't I haven't done it at this you know at this rate so much so I suppose it, it's a bit new for me so I'm really yeah. enjoying it actually I don't mind being on the road it was last weekend was a li- little bit tricky because I one of my best friends who was a school teacher it was her wedding on Friday and I'd been trying to get into Saint-Tropez all year and then I oh. only got in kind of on Saturday or Sunday of Hoy's, kind of I think probably off the back of the winds and they allowed me right. to go and um it took a lot of organization to get the horse there but I, <laughs> it was and then I had to miss the wedding so it was a, oh, you know no. you, you can't um, you can't be everywhere but look That's at it you it. have to you have to go with, you know. You make these choices, and I yeah. think you have to go with it. And I, and I I get a chance to go, to go home again when we've a free weekend, you know. So yeah, um,
4: exactly. Yeah, and you. Uh, I mean, it's been a great year as well. You were uh, you've been picked for to represent Ireland in Nations Cup teams, and even made it a winning one. Tell us, I mean, that must have been a very special moment in your career.
3: Yeah, that was um that was really cool actually when. We went to Lisbon and it was my first cup. I was clear in the first round. Um I had two down in the second round. I was a little bit disappointed with myself, but then mm-hmm. it was um it was really nice actually because, you know, Jenny Jenny Rankin is one of my very good friends and she was last to go and she jumped clear to win the cup for us and Richard Howley was on that team who I grew up with in the West of Ireland. He's based in in England now, he was double clear and then Kevin Gallagher you know as another very good friend so it was actually it was it was a young it was a young team and it was really nice you know a lot oh, of wow. us were the same age so it was, it was win that night in Lisbon was actually incredible it was under the lights and the atmosphere was yeah was amazing so that was that was my debut in the Nations Cup and we oh won my it, so. gosh
4: yeah no pressure um, it's no. after something like that uh, it was a lot to live up to but uh, yeah to to wear your country's flag is uh yeah it must be yeah. very special
3: and it was something I wanted to do for a while and you know was one or two times I kind of came close to getting on a team and then didn't happen or whatever. So it was it was starting to eat at me, at me a little bit. So yeah. I think I'm, I'm definitely um glad that you know, the fact that I got that done and we won that cup, yeah. I think is definitely great.
4: Fantastic. And mm. I mean, it's hard to think that I mean, it's barely three years ago that you were working as a maths teacher and decided to take this sabbatical and con- concentrate on show yeah. jumping for a bit. It's an amazing story. Tell us. I mean, how did it all start? You were probably mad for, sort of from a young age, weren't you?
3: yeah I was I've always to be honest I've always been doing it Um, yeah since I was like I think six I got my first pony and we were hunting Mm -hmm. and show jumping and I did a a lot actually in ponies I had some brilliant ponies and my family were brilliant they brought me to all the shows and Mm -hmm. I jumped European Championships we won a couple of medals and then um, I didn't have some you know brilliant horses and we didn't have loads of money to go and buy some really good horses and um, you know my mum was always like go to college and Uh, I suppose I enjoyed, you know, meeting friends and, and, um, so I did go to college and I loved that. I have to say I went to college in Galway and I was lucky enough to still be able to, um, to ride horses while I was in college. So I I never stopped completely, but obviously, you know, to try and do it at the level we're at now, you need to give it like everything, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I always, I always did it during college and then, then just started working in, um callous anxious and more and more and again I met some great friends so like you know it's it, I was always happy there but you know it's kind of it's, it is a big decision to leave and to even to leave I knew I would probably need to leave the country and you know try and find more owners and stuff and more, more facilities which is what I did with movementary stud. um right. so and like as well the Roger McRae has been a big influence you know he he kind of um he's the manager at the Billy Stud and he set it up and you know introduced me to Louise and helps me a lot mm-hmm. uh, um and still does and Will Funnel and, and and Pip you know I'm there I'm there every week at least you know I, I just turn up every week and I train <laughs> there I train there a lot and oh, you me. know I, I I rode the horses for them in Lanakin and we have a great relationship so it's um you know it works really nice and now getting to um getting to, you know, have a, a lot of friends over here in England, you know. So it was definitely yeah. hard during COVID and that it was hard. I didn't know so many people, but now I feel like, you know, it's like home away from home, really, you know.
4: Yeah, it feels like you're sort of part of the, the circuit now. It's, uh, you yeah, yeah. you're a familiar face uh, around. Yeah, so it
3: was it's... nice, actually. I, I, that's what I, what I loved about, it. you know, it was... Obviously, I, I expected it in Dublin, you know, to go home and see so many faces and enjoy the crowd, but actually... Yeah. I enjoyed Hoy's every bit as much and like I felt like the crowd were really behind me and stuff so I I thought that was really nice actually.
4: Yeah, I mean it's mm. a fantastic story. Do you sort of look back and think gosh wow I can't believe I've actually done this now. It's just does yeah. it feel real and now is it sort of become a way of life for you?
3: Yeah, I do de- I suppose yeah, I definitely do. You know, you, you definitely have to and I thought I think we've been so busy, you know, going from one thing to another I, and I'm probably I'm quite hard on myself to know I always. Yeah. I'll never just sit back and say, you know, no matter. what, I think you no matter how what you do, you always want more. I think you're not a competitor if you don't. I'm always nearly picking on the things I could have done better or whatever, no. you know, and you know, setting the next goal or whatever. Like next year, I, I really wanted to, to um, to to get to five star and to compete at that level. But I, I do think it's also important to, to take a minute to just to appreciate where you've got to and to enjoy it. And I think we will, you know, once we once we get a bit of downtime in december i think we we'll, yeah. um, we will take some time to celebrate this because i think the oh, year overall has been has been amazing you know and i have a lot to be thankful for for sure
4: oh definitely um yeah. and what are the plans for the winter is it is it any quieter or are you still sort of full throttle what um, what are
3: the plans so this year actually i i'm thinking of going to, to um abu dhabi in january oh and yeah i've never gone there before but i just to start off my you know i ha- I have i have I feel like I have the horses up to the level now that and um, to be competitive there so um we're just looking into it at the moment but it's something I'd like to do and I think it would give me a little bit of a maybe a head start then to step up to the next level and then for us if we do that in January we could have a little bit of a quieter time and maybe you know they could have a little break then and we could maybe take some embryos or something so it just it would suit it would suit so. Uh, we'll do we actually go to so we did Saint-Tropez and um, the horses are on the way from Saint-Tropez up to San Lowe which is another four star and I actually drive the truck out there tonight so I um with Good. two more impulse actually go <laughs> she had a week off so she goes there and then we'll we'll do that show and we'll have a week or two easy and then we we'll probably do um maybe sometime in November we'll do two or three more weeks and then we'll take we'll take December quiet this year mm-hmm. because because we'll start a bit earlier we'll take December quite and one I have I have another wedding and one of my uh my own school friends actually from when oh, we we're wow. small that's in the 30th of December so I actually think I definitely will be able to make that one yes
4: <laughs> so, the one quiet day of the year for sure yeah
3: definitely. <laughs> yeah definitely so I, oh. I can't see anything cropping up for that one yeah but um you know we, we definitely will get a chance I will try and get back to Ireland and and see my family a bit more in December and stuff, you know. So,
4: definitely, yeah, very important. Yeah. And, and sort of beyond that, do you set yourself goals? Are you sort of looking next season and beyond already, or are you sort of just like one step at a time with the horses?
3: Ah, uh, look, you're always you're always setting goals and things you want to do, you know. Um, but I think you know it's a bit like. You can, you can definitely think about things and dream about things but yeah. you have to I try and you know look in in the near the the near future and see what is possible and then you know you know what that can turn into but yeah. you know for example like so you know going to Dubai and, and starting off and trying to step up to the next level that's the start and then obviously you know I'd love to jump at five star and to jump in a five star Nations Cup and oh yeah and you know to to ride it you know yeah we are you always want to ride it at, at a championships and, and things like that in the aggie can you know there's all those things i'd like to do but i suppose you re, realistically if you can just take one step at a time and, and to do those things you just need to have you know good results and a good partnership with your horse and then and keep you know the horses have to stay healthy like you you do have to be lucky as well that's another you know that's another side of it so look we, yeah we'll um take it take it one day I think
4: definitely but um mm. as you say chase your dreams and uh I think you're yeah. inspiring us all to do that it's um I mean it's a fantastic story so
3: yeah I know definitely I know and I, I have to say I do I do you know believe in that like you yeah, you know there's even anyone that that works for me or you know if um if something's not right you know only you can change it you know or if you want to do something else you kind of have to yeah have to you have to take it you know only yourself can make a decision and it's not always easy to make those decisions to do something different but um you'll never you'll never know unless you try you know
4: yeah fantastic mm-hmm. oh well it's been a great year lovely to catch up with you and um, it's always great to chat to you and uh, hear this amazing no story so thank you for joining <laughs> us this
3: week no problem thanks a million good to talk to you
2: So I'm joined now by two members of our Horse and Hound news team, first of all our news editor
5: Eleanor Jones. How are you Eleanor? I'm good, thank you. Had one of the best days of the year in the last week when the muck heap gets taken away, and so for those few days you could just walk out and tip the wheelbarrow and walk away again, <laughs> instead of having to fork it all up and yeah <laughs> It's the small things, isn't it? <laughs> but you've had a very exciting week, haven't you? With not muck heap related, but doing dressage and show jumping in one go.
2: <laughs> yes, Eleanor was very confused, listeners,
5: by a post I made on Facebook, because I went to an
2: event called Essential Eventing, at Littleton Manor Equestrian Centre, and... Um... They don't have a, a huge amount of, of space to run a full um, a full horse trials. But what they do is uh, you go into their sort of big square all-weather arena and you perform a sort of dressage show. So you have a minute and a half to show a bit of trot on each rein, a bit of canter on each rein and a little walk. Um, and then you basically go straight on and do your show jumping round. And that completely confused Eleanor and blew her mind when she saw it on my Facebook page.
5: But I think that's my sort of dressage. You know, do a bit and then go and jump. Happy
2: days. <laughs> I don't love it. I mean, I think it's a great format it's a great event to practice that and then you get to go cross country afterwards so that's all good i find it quite tricky because i well the main thing is when you're in the warm-up you know when people warm up for jumping they're like going in straight lines and they're jumping things obviously and <laughs> and then you're trying to like uh, but it, you can't like make a circle unless there's like a little break in the people jumping and when i'm
5: warming up for dressers i like to make quite a lot of circles so i find that challenging <laughs> I think it, that might get me doing dressage if you could do a quick dressage and then jumps. I'm Just quite in favour of that. <laughs> show a bit of drops, show bit of and then a yeah. jump. <laughs> Happy days. Happy
2: days. Uh, well, we also have with us Lucy Elder, our senior news writer. How are you, Lucy?
0: I'm very well, thank you. I've been, I've had such a treat this week. I got to go to the Van Oost yard in the Netherlands to go and see their setup and, and Lottie Fry. Um, it was a lovely trip. Um, I was taken there by the London International Horse Show and oh my goodness, I just, I think I've told everyone about it (laughs) since I've been back Um, and I keep writing, there's more and more things I want to keep writing about it but my goodness me, it was just, ah, heaven pretty amazing setup they've got mm-hmm. there presumably. Absolutely and uh, yeah do have a look out on the website on our website I've been I chatted to Lottie about her Grand Prix rides of the new ones stepping up and some of her younger stars and um, some chat about mentoring and things as well and obviously getting looking forward to London which is I can't believe how quickly that's coming round. but it's yeah nice thing to be looking forward to.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about it this week, actually, because I took the Elizabeth line for the first time last week to Ah. go and see a friend who lives in Woolwich. But um, I was thinking about the fact that that will make it a lot easier for people to get to the London International Show at XL. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a speedy, speedy
0: trip across London now.
2: Yeah, we'll all be flying in on the Elizabeth line, so to speak, or training in, tubing in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do look out for Lucy's pieces online about uh, Lottie and the uh, setup at the Vanals. I think it's somewhere we all want to have a look around. Um, let's move on to some of the stories that you've both been writing this week. Eleanor, you have been looking at the rising cost of livery and you spoke to Cheryl Johns. She set up the Yard Directory livery list and also an online support group for yard owners. What did she say about
5: this yeah so this is a a topic we've sort of covered before on on uh you know how how people both yards and horse owners need to sort of appreciate just how much keeping a horse costs and then how much you're then gonna uh, charge for livery but yeah cheryl um who who set up the yard directory first and then this online support group she said that obviously you know that times are tough for everyone at the moment and for livery yards it's almost almost tougher than for a lot of others because Obviously, costs are going up, everything from electricity to bedding and and feed and everything. Um, But because there isn't any regulation, obviously, you don't have to have a license to have a livery yard. The ones that do everything right and do everything by the book and pay their rates and have the right insurance and do the right maintenance have to put their prices up and then it's possible then that people go well I'll go to the yard down the, the road that's charging £20 a week and, and there are possible you know could be welfare implications there so she's saying you know liveries are handing in their notice when the prices are going up and then they go to the cheap yards and then maybe are the good ones closing so yeah not a great situation at all. Mm.
2: And you spoke to some other yard owners and managers as well for the story what other sort of views were being put forward?
5: Yeah, I mean, it was all, all essentially an agreement. I spoke to, to Christine Shoebrook of Thundry Farm Livery in Surrey and she says she, she's got these three different packages of, of quote, full livery and she's had to put one of them up from 256 pounds a week to 420 and a lot of people say wow that's a that's a huge amount of money but she says well actually that only makes me 20 pounds a horse a week so uh, and one thing that we always seem to come back to is that if businesses are, are to survive they have to make a profit or or we won't have them um, and I spoke to another uh, livery yard owner Elaine McDonald of Thornhill Stables in Ayrshire and she said, just as a comparison, doggy daycare uh, in her area, people will pay 20 to £27 pounds a day and they supply the food. You don't need as much space uh, and, and the dogs go home at five o'clock. So when you think of it like that, it, uh, there is a big gap. Mm, I noticed that one of those yard owners you spoke to was quite struck
2: by the fact that she said that some of her clients said they couldn't afford the increase and she said, well, I can't afford it either. I, I'm not paying for your horses. If you no. if you can't afford a horse, you know, you have to look again at whether whether you have a horse.
5: Mm. Um, and that's something Cheryl said as well. Actually, she said uh, from from livery list, she said she helps yard owners do their costs. And some of them have been realizing, well, actually, I'm almost paying people to keep their horses here.
2: Yeah. Which is crazy. And mm. do you also interview Tullis Mattson? He's the president of the Equestrian Employers Association. What was his his thoughts on this?
5: Yeah, uh, same sort of thing, really, that yards are facing a tough enough time, e- even before what's been happening recently. And, you know, really, businesses should all put their costs up every year in line with inflation. But of course, a lot of equestrian businesses don't seem to do that. And he, the same thing, he said both horse owners and yard owners need to be aware of what it costs and charge or pay accordingly.
2: Mm. Well, thank you, Eleanor. If your livery bill is going up, ladies and gentlemen, don't think it's because your livery (laughs) yard owner or manager is, is jetting off on holiday on the proceeds. It's unlikely to be the case. Lucy, you've been looking at a story about changes that are coming up in British eventing for next season. And the big one probably for riders that's going to be the most obvious is balloting. Tell us about that.
0: Yes, so this is something I first heard um I heard an interview with Mark Satori on British Eventing's um Echo Ratings podcast which kind of hinted at this. Um and then I had a really good long chat with uh, Helen West, who's British Eventing's chief executive to find out all the all the details behind it. So BE essentially it's moving to get rid of the ballot system and just a quick refresher for anyone who perhaps doesn't event or wonders gosh what are you talking about Uh, when I when I keep referring to the ballot system so at the moment anyone who wants to run at an event puts their entry in before a set ballot date and then you're either accepted or you're balloted out Um, and there's a hierarchy to how that works Um, so it means that you're not you know guaranteed an entry when you put it in which is one of the reasons for the move so B is wanting to move to a first-come first-served system which would have a priority window for members to enter and it hopes this will kind of go away to solving several issues I mean firstly it's had significant member feedback against the ballot system so that's one of the big main reasons for getting for getting rid of it um, secondly it comes back to that point I just made about giving people assurance when they enter that they've got a place and which is really important you know people are busy. You want to be able to plan your weekends, plan your weeks. At the moment, with the ballot system, you can enter, then find out. You know, weeks later that you haven't got an entry. Then you're starting all over again. So, and it'll. It's also hoped it's going to give events clarity early on about entry numbers, so that they can make you know those easier decisions about whether their events viable to run or not, or you know all those organizational or operational logistic decisions that go with that too. So hoping it's going to be a positive move.
2: Mm. And I had that interview with the Bee chair, Mark Sartori, on the Ratings podcast as well, Lucy, and was really impressed by how sort of open he was about Bee's past mm. failings and, and where they go from here. And So one of the knock-on things that maybe links into some of these past failings but that comes with balloting is a bit of a change on the entry systems and obviously IT has been a big bone of contention in uh, in British eventing in the past. Tell us a bit about how what happens there if, if we no longer have balloting with, uh, with with entry systems.
0: Yes Pippa you're right it's kind of it is all interlinked um, so removing the ballot it'll allow BE to move towards allowing organisers to have flexibility to choose alternative entry providers because the ballot is very complicated. It's not built into many of those, you know, um, professional specific entry systems that exist out there, third-party ones. Um, and there's some some really good ones out there. Um, and the beauty of those is because it's their business, you know, they continually invest, well, it's in their interest to continually invest in and update the software needed, which is costly and specialist. So there's a, that's a big sort of one of the big reasons for moving that way, they will of course need to be um, accredited, as of course minimum eligibility requirements um, and results from events need to be validated for safety reasons, for sporting integrity reasons. But in short, it kind of it will mean that BE can move away from being so focused on admin. Um, and as you said, we know BE's had its troubles in the past with, particularly with the IT system. And I've been at those AGMs and EGMs and filed plenty of copy around the amount it's spent on IT in the past and the problems with that but I'm hoping this again is going to be good news going forwards and it's not just doing the same things over and over again so yeah again it'll be we'll see won't we I guess next season but hopefully again it feels positive.
2: Mm. I'm old enough to remember when you used to have to enter on a on a paper entry form, and you got little stickers that were sent to you that had your order details and your horse's details, and you stuck them to the form. And your ballot sticker was a physical sticker that you stuck to the form, and you put your check in, and you put in your stamp-stressed envelope, and you folded it all up. So, where uh, uh, entries are always always changing over time, and uh, I was about to say and I'm not even that old, listeners, and then I realised that was twenty years ago. But, um, <laughs> We'll uh, we'll hopefully be be seeing some positive changes there with balloting and new entry systems next season. And there are also changes in the way the fixtures list is going to be run. Tell us about that, Lucy.
0: Yeah, this is interesting too. So, of course, Helen, who has, of course, she's been an organiser for many years. She's been a rider, an owner. So she sees it from... The puzzle from quite a quite a lot of different angles um, in our role as chief exec now, and she explained to me how this, the principles of how it's working. So essentially, they're firming into the calendar, not set in stone. Um, at the sort of calendar decision process but firming in the higher level novice and above events um, with some consultation about organizers about whether those dates still work for them and things like that so those have given kind of a pillar structure if you like um, and then they freed up the grassroots end of that calendar it's not a complete free-for-all it's going to have you know some oversight but what they want to get away from is the sense that the Bee calendar is a closed shop and that it's completely protected. They said they've been actively approaching some of the best unaffiliated events. So essentially, the aim is to give the best events to the members, while also understanding that organisers do need some guarantee on return on investment that they're putting into their events. And you know, courses, particularly as higher level courses, there, they they cost a lot of money to put on and to and to keep up to standard and improving year on year. Um, and also that what might work down in the Cotswolds doesn't necessarily work in Scotland. So as we went to press on this story they were I know I understand that British Venting was sitting down and having a really good look at many many factors trying to find the right balance in the calendar and across all of those different influences and things to take into consideration and Helen said to me she said you know they can't promise it's going to be perfect this year but again they're trying and they're trying a new way and hopefully a better way.
2: Mm, Well, we'll look forward to seeing how that pans out next season. Thank you, Lucy, for all all the lowdown on that. Eleanor, coming back to you for a different story. You've been writing about a court case this week, which could have important implications for horse owners. What happened in this case?
5: Yeah, this uh, this was a really sad case that actually uh, an incident that happened seven years ago where a horse escaped from its field, got onto the A3 and there was a collision with a taxi and the passenger in the taxi suffered catastrophic injuries so Of course, there has been a long legal case uh, between the claimant and the insurers of the owner of the horse, Um, and and they have found that the owner of the horse was the innocent party in in this case, so she and her insurers weren't liable in this claim, essentially.
2: Okay, and when we look at this sort of thing, we always refer back to the Merva case. Can you just remind us about that that landmark case and and what it meant for, for horse owners?
5: Yeah, so so that was again a long-running case uh, that where in which it was eventually ruled that the owner of some horses who had escaped in a similar situation and there was an accident where a driver was badly injured was liable, um, and that has that was in the Supreme Court and and has been the sort of landmark case in this sort of thing. I mean, this is all under the Animals Act, which, as I understand it, some very leading legal figures have described themselves as opaque and confusing. So it is a real very uh, tricky one to understand. But we spoke to to the lawyer who had been acting on behalf of the insurers, who's Claire Garnett from Clyde Co., and uh, and they said they have a huge sympathy for the claimant who was so badly injured. Um, but they were saying this is encouraging for, for all animal owners, not just horses and their insurers, because it, it means that the mere fact your animal has escaped onto a uh, a road does not automatically mean you're liable for anything mm. like this.
2: Mm. So that's potentially quite an important implication, presumably.
5: Yeah, and she said that this hasn't got quite as much uh, weight because the Mervahidi v. Henley was in the Supreme Court, but she says it is positive and it's moving in the right direction.
2: Mm. I guess we have to wait for, for maybe another of those cases to, mm. to see this tested again. Um, but uh, it's, it's an interesting one. And you know, it's not something we all think about a lot what happens when our horses escape, but it but it is important. Thank you, Eleanor for explaining that to us and to Lucy for joining us today, too. Throughout the year, Horse & Hound sends reporters out to all the biggest events in the equestrian calendar to cover the action for our weekly magazine and our website at horseandhound.co.uk. The coverage we bring you on these two platforms is different. The Weekly Magazine provides your comprehensive curated roundup. We reflect back on the big wins and analyse all the results with insight from our team and experts in the industry. Meanwhile, on our website, we bring you the news as it happens. We speak to the riders as they leave the arena and report their thoughts in lightning quick time, covering all the biggest stories as they unfold and often producing 10 or more stories every day online from a big show. The first five articles you read on our website are free each month and beyond that you need to buy a subscription. The cost of this reflects the fact that we need a bigger team at events when we are creating extra articles on our website and not only producing a magazine report. To buy a Horse & Hound website subscription visit horseandhound.co.uk and click subscribe or for great value in the same place you can buy a combined magazine and website subscription. We know that magazine subscribers are our most loyal audience, and we really value your ongoing and vital contribution to our business. Therefore, if you are already a magazine subscriber, the cost to upgrade your subscription to include full website access is minimal. Call 0330 333 to find out more. Dr Gemma Pearson is Director of Equine Behaviour for the Horse Trust. She is a qualified veterinary equine behaviourist who splits her time between seeing clinical behaviour cases at the University of Edinburgh's Equine Hospital and ongoing research on this topic.
1: So in this episode, we're going to talk about operant conditioning. Maybe we should call it rewards and consequences. And this is really important to how we train horses. So we've already talked about non-associative learning whereby horses learn to habituate or become sensitized to a stimulus. And then we talked about classical conditioning, which is where the horse, like Pavlov's dogs, learns to predict what's going to happen next and therefore makes associations between certain areas or certain cues. Operant conditioning is all about how an animal learns to operate within their environment. And we break it down into four different quadrants. So the first aspect is positive reinforcement. Positive is used in the mathematical sense. So it means the addition of something. Reinforcement to reinforce the behaviour so that behaviour is repeated over time. And this is what the basis of clicker training horses is used with. Um, But we don't have to use a clicker. We can also give the horse a nice scratch. What's important is that we use an innate reinforcer. So um, horses don't particularly enjoy being patted. They won't work for that. They associate it with a break, perhaps, but it's not something that matters to them. Um, and they don't enjoy being told that they're good. You know, I have a dog. He's a Springer Spaniel Border Collie cross. And if I tell him he's good, his entire body wags. But we haven't bred horses to to want to please us in the same way that we have dogs. So positive reinforcement, we can either use food or we can use scratches. We can use stroke in the horse. And we can use that to train behaviours that we want, both in hand and under saddle. Now, the other side of the coin is negative reinforcement. And this sounds bad, but we need to think about it in the mathematical sense. It is not a bad thing. Negative reinforcement, or maybe we should call it removal reinforcement, is the bread and butter of horse training. So negative or removal means subtraction of a cue when the horse offers the correct response. So if you think about a young horse, if you want to teach the horse to go forward, you might use a light leg cue. And as soon as that horse goes to step forward, you release the pressure. And therefore the horse knows that was the behavior that I need to perform to make the pressure of the leg go away. I need to step forward. So this is what I mean about it It gives the horse control of their environment. We talk about them being able to operate in their environment because whenever they have any pressure put on them, They know what behaviour they have to perform to make that pressure go away again. So, of course, we may use the legs to ask the horse to go forwards. We may use the reins for slowing and stopping. Um, And we may also use the reins in a different fashion to get the horse to turn. And the same when we're leading horses or doing things with them. If we can give them a cue, as soon as the horse offers the correct response, we release that cue. Now, one of my favourite terms is that you get the behaviour you reinforce not the behavior you want. And this is because sometimes it's really easy to accidentally reinforce the wrong behavior. So for example, if you have a horse that's difficult to worm, if you put the wormer up to the horse's lips and the horse throws their head in the air, that removes the pressure of the wormer from the horse's lips and that's self-reinforcing. So horses have no concept of winning and losing. They have no agenda. They don't think they're, you know, the boss or anything like that. Um, You get the behavior you reinforce, not the one you want. So, you know, if you try and put the worm in the horse's mouth, horse throws its head up and it gets away from the worm, you've almost accidentally trained the horse to throw its head up. So a more simple way we could do that is just to put the worm maybe on the horse's cheek where it doesn't feel the need to throw its head up and then remove the worm before the horse moves its head. And then each time you might put the worm closer and closer to the horse's lips. And now the horse is starting to think, gosh, this is different. Previously, every time the, my owner put the wormer near my lips, I had to throw my head in the air to make the wormer go away. Now, I put my head down and relax, and the wormer goes away. And then because they keep their head still and relaxed, you can then easily insert it into their mouth, and they're happier to have that done. We could even accelerate this through using positive reinforcement, so we remove the syringe of the worm, but we also perhaps use a click and give the horse a little bit of food for standing still and relax. Um, and if you want to see a good video of this, if you go on YouTube and look at worry-free worming, so that's worry-free worming on the Don't Break Your Vet series, there's a nice video showing how we can put this into practice. Now the final aspect of operant conditioning is, posit- is punishment. And this can be positive or addition punishment, where you add something, so you hit or you strike the horse, or negative punishment, where you remove something, like you take the horse's food away. And, you know, I think in this day and age, there's not really a need for punishment in horse training. We know that horses are never innately bad. We've often just accidentally reinforced the wrong behaviours, or there's another motivator, such as pain, which is causing them to be displayed. So we really want to think, rather than trying to stop the behaviour that we don't want, which leads us down the r- route of punishment, try and reinforce the behaviour that you do want instead. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you, Gemma.
2: Next week, Gemma will be back to talk about emotions in horses, and our interview will be with eventing world champion Yasmin Ningham. She'll chat about that incredible week out in Italy last month. If you're enjoying listening to The Horse and Hound Podcast, do rate, review and share it in your podcast app and on social media to help us spread the word. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound Podcast is a Media Cage production.